Welcome to the podcast of Unity Fort Worth. In it, you'll hear this week's message and meditation. If you'd like to hear and see the complete service, you can always find it at unityfortworth.org or on the Unity Fort Worth Facebook page. Unity Fort Worth focuses on positive and practical Christianity with a willingness to explore the entire world of religion and spiritual thought. Unity Fort Worth streams live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Thanks for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. All right, so let's get into the Islam for today based on Unity and World Religions, Paul John Roach's book, and we're covering the Islam. But before we do that, I want to give you a little bit of a demonstration because we just changed something very significant the other day. Because these chapters are heavy on information, as you noticed, there's quite a few slides I show you. And you probably already know that we have sermon notes that you can get to even after service, where usually we put the main scriptures, supporting scriptures, some metaphysical interpretations on there just to make it easy. Or you can even do it right now, whether you're here or uh, at home, you can look at the sermon notes. And so um, this be has become even more important just a couple of weeks ago. So if you go to our website, unityfortworth.org, this is what you see. If you go today, this is exactly what you see. And then if you scroll down a little bit, you see our service today, Unity in Islam, and you have different ways of watching it. And then you have this button on the right there, the, the sermon notes. And when you click on that button, you get to see all the latest sermon notes. Islam for today, Judaism last week, unity of Christianity. And if you click last week's one, the Judaism, then you go to the, oh, the unity Christianity, that's my example. Then you go to its own sermon notes page where you have the podcast, the audio recording. You scroll down, you have the video to watch. And when you scroll down even further, you get to see all the slides I've been using and you can click on it and go through the slides if it was a little bit too quick. I know this, there's a lot of information coming in. You can go at any time, listen to the service, and just follow along the slides. And then you also have the same discernments in the series at the very bottom, so you can click around. And you can even leave a comment. Only nice comments, please. <laughs> I'm very sensitive. My feelings get hurt, too. Okay, just kidding. You're welcome to, to open a discussion, leave a comment, and things like that. So I wanted you to know that because um, it's an incredible tool. I've, I've not, not seen it anywhere ever done, and I thought, wouldn't that be cool if some of you who are interested can go back and look at um, some of those slides and maybe listen to the message again. All right, so Unity and Islam, chapter three. Um, wonderful, wonderful religion in many respects. But let's look at the ages of religion real quick. And I use different colors, maybe a little hard to see, but to sort them a little bit. Because some of those religions are connected. So for example, when you look at the first one, Hinduism, some would say that's the oldest of the organized or the civilized religions. Um, 
after the, the major religions from just oral tradition. So we have Hinduism in green, and at the lower end, on the left there, 600 feet before common era, you have Jainism, and then on the right, 1400 common era, you have Sikhism. They all belong together. They all are familiar with each other. They either come out of the same tradition, or have split up, or have some similarities. Then when you go to Judaism, then you have Christianity and Judaism. They're slightly different color because uh, Christianity came out of Judaism, right? Because Christians believe that Jesus was the Messiah. The Jews say, great teacher, but not the prophet and not the Messiah, right? So that's where it got split. But still, a lot of similarities. Shintoism, Confucianism, Taoism, they all kind of go together. There's slightly a lighter brown because there's some similarity with Buddhism there. And then we have the Islam starting in 600 common era, Sufism in 1200 when they started going to be organized, and Baha'i in 1800, about the age of unity, all related to Islam. And I thought this slide may be really interesting for you to kind of sort out where do some of these religions come from? Often you have a major religion and then there's some form of a split off like with Sikhism out of Hinduism. And there's many different reasons why, which we won't have time to get into. But um, something for you to Google and to learn more about. So pop quiz. Okay, dead silence, I love it whenever I say pop quiz, okay. These are symbols of three religions. Let's see if you know those symbols. Let's start with the top one. Wonderful. I didn't say which one yet. All right, the middle one is? Wonderful, and the last one? Islam, perfect, right? Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Why do you think I bring those three up? today? They share something. Right. Absolutely right. There's a reason. There you go. I heard Abraham. What does these three religions have in common? They have in common Abraham, the father of Judaism. Right? All these three religions come out of the lineage of Abraham. And they're also called the Abrahamic traditions or Abrahamic religions. And they have a lot of similarities because of that. And today, I actually will show a lot of those similarities and compare all four religions, the Abrahamic traditions, with unity and see where they're similar and where they're different. Here is how they actually are similar. So Abraham had many sons, and, but had the firstborn Ishmael, and then Isaac. Isaac is where our tradition is coming from, right? Judaism, Christianity, unity kind of like is still seen from that tradition. But Islam comes from the firstborn. Ishmael and Isaac have two different mothers. 
Isaac from Sarah, and Ishmael from Hagar. And Isaac, of course, was the father of Jacob, and as such, the grandfather of the 12 tribes in Israel. Okay? So not many people know this, and I think it's kind of neat that we have this similarity. And when Imam Bakesh comes next week, he'll probably mention that too. Imam Bakesh, by the way, he's been around in Fort Worth for over 40 years. He's very involved in Tarrant County, also in interfaith and interreligious kind of work. So he's very open, uh, similar to how we are open. And so I'm very happy that he agreed to join us next week. And he will be here in person for those of you who like the in-person a little bit better than just the online. Now, here is something interesting. Because of the Abrahamic tradition, when the term interfaith was first uh, created, which was uh, in a, the Chicago Catholic Diocese, the, many years ago, they came up with that term, interfaith. They actually understood it only through the Abrahamic traditions. And interesting enough, whenever we do interfaith work, that's exactly what we have. We have Christians, Jews, and Muslims, and that's it. When I say, well, what about Buddhism? <laughs> what about Hinduism? That's much, much harder to bring in into that interfaith community. And that's often also what it is understood. So Brother Wayne Tesdale, who was a Catholic monk in the uh, 60s, I believe, he turned this particular expression interspiritual for that reason, because he wanted to break free from being so locked into the Abrahamic traditions, said, if we want to be inter something, we need to be inter to everything. So we need to be able to include all spiritual paths, all religions around the world, regardless of what their origin are. So that's also why I personally and many of us in unity prefer to use now the term interspiritual to break free from some of that common understanding. So let's go into Islam. Islam means literally peace through submission to the will of God. That's what Islam means. And that is the very path that a Muslim looks at is to find peace, and the way a Muslim finds peace is through the submission to the will of God. Some history stuff, Prophet Muhammad, may peace be upon him, recited and transcribed visions in the Quran that started about 650 to 600, somewhere around that time, and then Muslims in general have a great respect for Judaism and Christianity. I did not know that for the longest time because when I was looking at the Islam faith, all I did is I compared that faith with what I saw on TV, in the movies and things like that, which was mostly represented by fundamentalism, where if you're not Muslim, then you're not worthy to even live, right? But the actual Islam, the Muslims themselves, are very open to Judaism and Christianity because of their common heritage. In fact, they're very open to everyone. In the Islam faith, there's no need to convert. There's no conversion. It doesn't exist. 
you're not converting to Islam in any way. The way they describe it, and you will all be familiar with that, is coming home. When someone says, I'm going to follow the Muslim faith, they don't have to do anything, but just follow the different pillars and so on, which I will go into in a minute, but they're considered to be coming home. They, had, they don't have to deny their past. They don't have to do anything. And I think that's just a very lovely way of being so open and accepting. And here I see a great similarity with unity. Often when I speak to any of you and ask, how did you find unity? Most of you say, I came in and I just felt like I was coming home. And finally, many Muslims do not see Islam as a religion, but as a way of life. So there's two sects that you usually have in the Islam faith. One, the bigger one, is the Sunni, just 85% of the Muslims follow that. And the smaller one the, the, is the Shia, which is about 15%. The difference, the main difference is, and there's lots of differences, and in the chapter, Paul even writes, I wouldn't do any justice if I tried to explain the differences. We're just going to scratch the very surface here. The Shia, they consider the Imam as sinless. No sin whatsoever. Very similar to how the Catholics probably still, but especially used to look at the priest, a man of God without sin, right? Whereas in the Sunni, that's where you actually have, see more of the focus on the struggle of life that we have to break through and then find peace through the submission to the will of God. That's also where the suffering comes in, and that's also where martyrdom comes in, which then connects, unfortunately, again, to the fanatical uh, side of that particular way of being, when then it becomes, goes into terrorism and things like that. What are the related religions that we know of? Zoroastrianism, which is about 1500 before Common Era, so over 2,000 years older than Islam itself, has actually similarities to Islam, and there is somehow a connection outside of the Abrahamic tradition with the Zoroastrianism. Some would even say that Zoroastrianism is the oldest religion, even older than Hinduism. But again, I mentioned last week, you probably ask a Christian, you ask a Muslim, you ask anyone, and they all claim we are the oldest religion. So you have their Zoroastrianism, which actually promotes dualism. They believe that there is a God and an equal power, an evil equal power. And it's influenced by um, Buddhism and then in Sufism, which is the mystical branch of Islam. That came out of when Muhammad, uh, may peace be upon him, died. That's when Sufism started, but they didn't get organized until about 600 years later. And then Baha'i, which is about as old as Unity, 1800s, um, mid-1800s, 
is very close to unity because they promote the unity among all and they also are very optimistic, very positive, and they're strongly interspiritual. So you actually see when you look at Baha'i beliefs, there is many, many similarities to unity. There's six major beliefs within the Islam. In the book, Paul talks about five elements, and that's pretty much the same thing. Depending on what sources you read, there's just one additional element or belief. First of all, there's only one God. Very traditional, Abrahamic, one God and that's it. The second is the belief in angels. Muhammad, peace be upon him, was visited by angel Gabriel and was inspired to write the Quran and recite the Quran and then eventually transcribe it into the holy book. So angels have a great significance. All holy books, especially the Torah, the Christian scriptures, and the Quran, and of course the Quran above all, are actually acceptable in the Islam faith. They don't deny Christian scriptures. They believe Jesus existed. They believe even that Jesus may have been the Messiah. They absolutely honor Jesus for his work, as they do Moses and Jacob and all the prophets in the Hebrew scriptures. No problem whatsoever. They do say that the Quran, for them, is the book that they follow the most. But they do not deny the other books. Isn't that interesting? You know, tell a Christian what they, you know, ask some Christians, not all Christians, but some Christians, ask them what they think about Quran. And sometimes you can really tell that there is not that much of an acceptance of other books. Prophets are acceptable. Uh, are accepted as well. So Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Ishmael, Jacob, Jesus, Muhammad, peace be upon him. They're all prophets. They're all accepted. And of course, following again their belief. The belief number five is that there is a day of judgment. So Muslims believe eventually there will be a day of judgment, similar to the rapture, or the second coming of Christ. And on that day, we will be judged, and then we'll, we'll, we'll have a life after death, and also very similar, heaven and hell. We'll either go into the paradise, or we don't. And then the final belief is that there is a divine decree, God is all-powerful, and humans have free will. So there's a lot of similarities. Don't, can you see that? So it's not something that's very unfamiliar, but it was surprising to me years ago when I learned this for the first time, how open the Muslim faith actually is, especially to the other two Abrahamic traditions. So now let's go through the principles. First, second, third, fourth, and fifth principle. First principle, what about God nature? Right? You can see all four religions, including unity, believe in one God. All four, all four religions almost believe in one power. So I put a question mark 
with Christianity because when we read about unity in Christianity, Paul was writing that sometimes in the Christian faith, again, there's a plethora of different denominations. really depends which one they follow. Evil or Satan has almost an equal stance to God. So that's why I put a question mark there. And, but other than that, they're all very similar. And then when it comes to the names, we have Yahweh and Elohim for Judaism, the Father in Christianity, Allah in Islam, and then in unity, law and principle. So how do we relate to that? God and us, how does that work? Second principle, where in unity we believe in oneness. There's a little bit of a difference there. In Judaism, we have, yeah, we are human, so we are almost like God, but just a little less than God, right? In Christianity, we have a clear distinction. There is God and there is us. Cannot be together. Impossible. Islam, very similar, not as harsh, but also there is God and there is us. And then in unity, we have God is us and vice versa. I used to term, we are God and yet we are not God at the same time. Okay, it's the paradox that we learn to live in, with in unity. And then the second line, Judaism, we, is God and us is inseparable. Separation is impossible. Christianity sees us separate, never be able to come together, and also usually sees us from a fallen perspective. Then the Islam, separate again, and then unity, similar to Judaism, inseparable. Impossible to separate us from God, a very core teaching that we have. Even if we are in the darkest place, if we have zero belief left, if we are only beating ourselves up and we believe we are the most horrible person in the whole wide world, even then, we're still not separate from God. Okay? Very important teaching in unity. Third principle, which is our impact, right? What we think, feel, and act, and how we act matters in our lives. In Judaism, Christianity, Islam, unity, we all have one thing in common, the first one. We can always change our mind, right? So if we are like Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it, okay? We can always change our mind, and that's, that's the way we can actually learn and grow and change. In Judaism, then, we are either turning toward God or away from God. And I like that because Judaism is very clear on we look at that relationship first before we do anything in our lives. Ideally, when we get up and brush our teeth in the morning, we ask ourselves, are we turning toward God or are we turning away from God? if we have a discussion with our partners, an argument at work, that question is at the forefront. Unity is very similar. We ask us a little bit differently. Are we aligned with God or not in anything we do? Christian scriptures, Hebrew scriptures are full of that idea. Christianity, again, 
depending on where you are, we have a wide range in Christianity from very traditional conservative to very liberal. A lot of them say we must repent. Because the view is we have separation and we are fallen. And because we are fallen, we must ask for forgiveness and we must repent in order to repair that relationship. Judaism, unity, goes in a different direction. What about Islam? Islam, again, what Islam means, submission to the will of God. That's all you have to do. The goal is to find peace, and the peace, the way we find peace is by submitting ourselves to the will of God. So you can see that in this third principle, when we start to look at how are we actually going to apply our relationship with God in relationship to God nature, we're starting to see these differences. They seem slight, but they're important. The tools we use, fourth principle. Judaism uses often ritualized prayers, scriptural readings, chants, I talked about the holidays last week, the high holidays and other holidays where a lot of recitation and singing and coming together is going on. In Christianity, we have the interesting word there, supplicative, supplicative, supplication, supplicative prayer, asking in prayer, where we are asking for things to happen, to change. And we have also scriptural readings, lots of devotionals, everyday devotionals. That's really important in Christianity. And then in Islam, we have the five pillars. And in unity, we have affirmative prayer, meditation, world rituals, and so on. We tend to not have a lot of our own rituals. We just add rituals where we believe they're important, just like this little Thing that we do for this month comes more from a pagan tradition than it comes from unity. So we're just including all that. Here are the five pillars of Islam. And here's where I believe unity can learn from Islam in many respects. And the five pillars are something that every Muslim basically tries to do every single day starting with shahada, which is faith. We talked about the six forms of faith. And then, very important, salah, prayer, five times every day. Imagine for a moment that I'm going to ask you, from today on, you have to pray five times a day. And you have to do it just like that. You know, take your time off and devote your time to God would you be able to do it? It's a huge devotion. In fact, Muhammad, what I learned, peace be upon him, he wanted this to be 50 prayers every day, five zero. When he first started, he said, I want everyone to pray 50 times, and that was then reduced to five times. I think this particular pillar is important because it ties into Christian scriptures and the Hebrew scriptures really well. Paul, the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, he's very clear on how powerful prayer can be and how we should 
pray as often as we can. Sometimes I wonder if we had something like the Salah, like the pillar in Islam, how our community would benefit from that. If we all agreed, we will pray together five times a day at this specific time. How powerful would that be? Then we have Psalm, which is fasting. You know, the fasting time in, uh, that changes all the time. For the Islam, it's a long time. They don't eat or drink throughout the day. Only after sunset and before sunrise, drinking and eating is allowed. And then, of course, called the month of Ramadan. And then we have Sakah, almsgiving. I wished we had that, because then I wouldn't have to ask you to tithe all the, all the time, right? Because it would be a pillar. You couldn't, you couldn't get away from not tithing anymore. It's very strong, and I've, I've met so many Muslims at this point, and that's ingrained in their belief. Almsgiving, giving to the church, giving to the mosque, giving to the people that are poor, very big in a Muslim faith. And then finally, pilgrimage. Uh, once in a lifetime, at least, a Muslim should do a pilgrimage to Mecca, where Muhammad, peace be upon him, started out, left, and then came back to write the Quran. So those are the tools that the Muslims use in order to stay focused. Our tools are a little bit different, but also similar. Prayer, meditation, denials, and affirmation. We all have very similarities. We use different names, we use different practices, but the core is still very much the same. And finally, fifth principle, we must take action. All of the four religions I'm mentioning today have a call to action. In Judaism, it's about repairing and restoring to the relationship with God. In Christianity, we have repentance and forgiveness. That's how we are taking action. In Islam, again, we have the submission to the will of God. And in unity, we have that moving beyond separation. Again, we can see differences here, or we can see similarities here. It's amazing how some of those religions, and as we move forward into Buddhism, Hinduism becomes even more and more interesting how similar all those religions are, even though when we look at it from the outside, it seems we are so vastly different. But some of the basic practices stay the same. So here we have it. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. The first three chapters in the book, uh, very important traditions, important to unity, and important, hopefully, to all of us. In unity, we absolutely embrace our Christian roots, but we also explore, as you will see in a few weeks, Buddhism and Hinduism. And uh, I hope that this comparison helped to just see that sometimes the walls that we may have may experience if we meet someone from a different religion that they probably don't even need to be there. That we all have very, very similar ways of being and that our goals are very similar as well. And I'll leave you with that for today. Like I said, you can look at the slides at your leisure. 
on the website, sermon notes, and let's have Larissa musically lead us into meditation. So let us take a moment together and allow the spiritual self to come forward. Some of us may have grown up in a different religion, Christian or Jewish or Muslim or others, and have chosen to be here today online or in person to come together in unity, to celebrate the similarities rather than get caught up in the differences. We meditate together as a form of prayer. We turn within, we find God within. We tap into our own divinity. And from there, we allow perfection to unfold in any way we choose. We are brothers and sisters of our traditions, whether Judaism or Christianity or Islam, there is only one God, there's only one infinite potential to tap into. So we're allowing that divinity to unfold. We're coming together among the different religions, the different spiritual ideas, celebrating together, acknowledging together that there is more, something more than we often believe we are.
even when we bring to mind our loved ones, those we may have lost, those that our relationship may have changed. There's unity among all of us beyond the separation of physicality, the physical body, separation of mind and heart. So we breathe into this moment, remembering that we're more similar than we are different. Remembering that we are greater than we often believe we are. Affirming that we deserve to be here, live and breathe and serve be with each other. Where do we find it in repentance or forgiveness? Or by repairing our relationship? Where do we find it through the submission to the will of God? Or moving beyond a sense of separation? We deserve to be here. We deserve to be joyful. We deserve to be at peace. Because this is the peace that passes all understanding. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for all of us. And so it is. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. You just heard this week's message and meditation. For the live streams and more information, go to unityfortworth.org.